0: of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Thursday, March the 31st, as the light of Christ shines on us from Psalm 19. We continue to study and pray the Psalms because, well, we all need a reminder to pray. This is one of the joys I have, having midweek Lenten services. Often we have so much going on in the middle of our week, how great it is to come and pray, which is why our church, and I know many of yours, includes a Psalm for those nights. And for us, we're taking a little bit of a break as we plow through Matthew, looking to the passion and to the resurrection of our Lord, to take a step back to pray and let ourselves settle in for the rest of the Lenten season. And today is Psalm 19, which often I have heard prayed in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A great prayer to have before a sermon, before a worship service, and also I would say all every day of our life. So as we go today, we look at the psalm again. Open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, and let's start praying. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Today, we thank you, for our, thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome for the first time Pastor Terry Finnern of Mount Calvary and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Miltona, Minnesota. And a reminder to our listeners today... That Pastor Finnern is Pastor Finnern the greater, as we would say. This is my father. So throughout the program, you'll have to get used to me saying, Dad, this is a, a, a well, I don't really want to call him Pastor because he's always been Dad. So, Dad, happy Lent and welcome to thy. strong wrong word.
1: Yeah, good morning. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> do, doing well, Dad. This is our first time together on this program. Obviously, you and I know each other, but our guests do not. So tell us about yourself um, well, the rest of the family—they know me—and um, your work at Mount Calvary in St. Paul.
1: Yeah, right, Thank you. It's—I've—I uh, it's, uh, graduated from Concordia Theological Seminary in Springfield, Illinois, in 1974. Uh, I did my vicarage up in St. Peter Lutheran Church in Schaumburg, Illinois, uh, or six miles west of O'Hare Airport, and it's there that I met—I uh, met your mother and we got married uh, right after I graduated from the seminary, and we got a call to uh, St. John Lutheran Church in Onarga, Illinois, or assistant Park, Illinois. We spent five years there uh, in a rural parish, uh, which worked out well for us because both your mother and I were from uh, farm areas. And then we went from uh, there in 1979, we went up to northern uh, Minnesota, and took a call to St. John Lutheran Church in Wadena. We were there for 21 years, where, um, both of our kids, uh, you and your sister Krista graduated from high school. Um, Krista then has subsequently gone on. She lives in Vermont, um, uh, met a young man out there after she worked in our, with our Lutheran camp in Northern Vermont, um, and Northern New York. And so she is out there with our two granddaughters, Lux and Esau. And then you are obviously down here in, uh, Sartell, uh, 70, 70 miles away. And so we, uh, with your four with Amy um, and your four kids, Kaisa and Avril, uh who is now at the St. Paul's Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri, uh, and then Elias and Xavier. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of our family history. Uh, I retired officially in 2013. Uh, unofficially, I'm still serving these two parishes here right north of Alexandria, Minnesota, um, Mount Calvary, which is in Miltona. And then also um, Saint Paul's, which is rural Meltona. Both of these churches have rich history, but like many, many of our small town rural congregations, there has been a uh, there has been a, uh, a moving away of, of members. Um, but you look at the membership list in those two churches, you know, find out that there are some great family names that are still there. Uh, and if you look at my church that has served in, in Alexandria, Zion. Some of the names that used to be out here at Miltona are now, uh, those names have transferred over to um, Alexandria or even to Parker's Prairie right, north of us. And so you, the ministry which began in these two churches, which continues on a more of a, a, a limited basis, that ministry continues to those families and surrounding congregations. And, you know, you just realize God is very much at work, and that's a, that's a special joy, uh for for me and my ministry. So that's kinda I think that's what um what I need to share with you. Any questions you have about about me and your upbringing? Well, but... you said, you know, you say you call me Dad, uh I'm not sure what words are gonna come in my mouth. It's either going to be pastor or Brady. I'm not sure which one, but we'll see how that turns out.
0: Yeah. Most people call me Brady and that is just fine, Dad. Um as we as we look at this it is you know it's one of those really fun things and the there's a certain amount of, of um, I would say, frustration that after you you uh, um, retired, that you took on these parishes because then you're not right in my right pocket where I could have you just fill in whenever I want you to fill in here at Sartell. However. That's a little bit selfish, um, and it's a yeah. reminder to our listeners to pray for our young, for our pastors, our retired pastors, especially. Many of them take on vacancies like Dad does. Um, I know in our own district, we have many retired pastors. They love to go up and fish in Minnesota, and they faithfully serve these congregations. And uh, for those congregations, as they continue to serve, because it's not just— well, we don't have many people, but the the word of God is is given and the sacraments are administered and uh God is still at work whether it's five people or 500. And and that's kind of that's kind of what you did, Zion, you had a big church and now you're in two small churches. So it's really fun to yeah. see God at work. So, so yeah. dad, we're um it's a little bit different with the Psalms. Um, first of all, if you have any questions concerning Psalm 19, I suppose you could come up with a Finner question too if you wanted to call in. I know we have many family members listening today. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call on this live program, 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. Like I said, the Psalms are a little bit different because we begin in prayer by praying the Psalm. And another reminder to our listeners, a great way, if you do not know what to pray, pray a Psalm. And this one here, I think, is a complete gem for us to be able to pray. So let us begin in prayer, Psalm 19. And once again, our version is the English Standard Version. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out from the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has sent a t- set a tent for the sun, which comes out like the bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course of joy. Its rising is from the ends, end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. More to be desired are they than gold, even more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, In keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern all his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back from your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression." Let the word of my, words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing t- in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. So, Dad, as we look at Psalm 19, it is there's parts in here that are uh, ones you know, um, parts you don't know so much. How do you want to start us off?
1: Well, I think you know this i've I've looked at this psalm uh but not recently um but I've never really looked at it like I did when I got your assignment, and so all of a sudden you read through it and and you read through it and you read through it, and every time I read through this psalm you you come up with some new thoughts and some new ideas, but you always end up in the same place, and the mm-hmm. words uh, the words that we end up with. Um, you hear my, from some pastors continually, and for most of us, it might be just a, a quiet meditation. So, when I was reading through the psalm, and then I got to verse 14, all of a sudden these words jumped out at me. And those words, have you read? But the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Most of the time when I most of the time when I have Bible studies or uh, even psalm, but most of the time Bible studies, you know, you, you kinda of start at the beginning of the reading and then you work your way through to the end. Um and it's kind of a progression which works um which works really well. But when you get to Psalm nineteen that that, that is completely turned upside down. Uh, as I read that, you know, you go through those first verses, and all of a sudden you get to verse 14, and you realize that okay, this is where this is where the psalmist ended up, and in essence, for me, that is where I need to start, because these words in verse 14 uh, are kind of a meditation, a quiet thought process for me, and after I read those, then I can go back and say, how did the psalmist get to verse 14? Uh, you know, he had a journey, which he was on, which ended up with verse 14. And I wanted to find out what was that journey. And so when I read these verses in the psalm, you know, it was like uh, it's like try having on a, on a journey to the end, which I already know is waiting for me. And so it, it became a, uh, the, the end of the psalm became a, a not only a destination, but a beginning for me. Uh, so that's kind of my thought. And every time I read it, uh, you would find out something new was coming out. So yeah, it's
0: interesting. And- As we look at that, and that's a good way for us to start. So let's let's dig into verse 14. I like how you're saying that. First of all, because uh, our pastor um, for us during seminary was John Schmidke, who we've had on the program, and from Bethlehem. And he would always start his sermon that way when he would pr- pray before. He would always end with verse 14. And that's kind of what I end up doing, too, before I preach, is that these are words I'll use. So let's just... Let's look at verse 14. This is a psalm of David, and I'll read it and see what you have um, as you look at that, because these are very powerful words and really almost are a filter for the rest. So, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, so Dad, as you, as you look at that, what, I guess you say, what hit you probably a number of times from this verse? Well, I think, you
1: know, there there um, the, there is uh, about three or four things in here. One of them is that David always, through um, most of this psalm, includes God into the picture. and uh, He does it with two ways. Either he does it at the beginning when he talks about the glory of God, using the word L, I believe it's uh, pronounced, uh, which is kind of a very general statement of God. And he connects that to a creation story. And then you go to verse 7 and following, uh, then you had those verses where the, he has used the word Lord, which is a Yahweh, which is a word for, uh, kind of a covenant relationship God, a personal mm-hmm. relationship God. Um, and then he ends up in verse fourteen, uh, not with some general, not with some general statement of God, but he specifically connects his final thoughts with this Yahweh, uh, this personal covenant God um, that called uh, called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with all of his promises of a Messiah. That's where he ends up, um, and so that reminds us that you know as as, as Christians. You know, this is a God that, we, that we, we worship and honor, the one that made those promises of a Savior and fulfilled those in Jesus. And then the reality is in the beginning of that verse, um, the, the response to we have to this God that, is, that has called us to be his uh, through Jesus, the response is that the words that we speak and the actions we take and the heart which controls all of that are, uh, are involved in this, in this process. Um, so it becomes a, a complete a complete reaction by us, a complete being um, of, of knowing who this God is, and in baptism, you know, He called us to be His, and we baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. All of that centers that God has set us aside uh, in the name of Jesus to be His people And uh, our response is we have our words, we have a heart that has changed, um, and it just pulls it all together.
0: And I find it interesting, too, that he uses the word Redeemer, because as far as—I didn't research this a ton, but it is the only time in the Psalms where Redeemer is actually used as a Mm -hmm. title for God. And I like how he says, my rock and my Redeemer. Just a reminder that not only is this— uh, God, you know, a triune God, as, as you said, um, but it's my Redeemer. Um, and why is that important, uh, Dad, as you look at this, that, that David is making this very personal. This is a very personal psalm as he says those words.
1: Yeah, and I think what you have is that when you uh, when you look at he says my Lord um, Yahweh, but he, and he also talks about my rock. Some translations will call that my strength. I I think the word rock is a better way to look at it, uh, and that might lead us back to those opening verses about creation. You know, we we live in this creation, and there we have a we we feel we have a stability. We have a strength from that. Uh, only to find out when David pulls that up at the end, uh, God is our rock that we uh, build our lives on. So there's a stability there. And then you take the Redeemer, and looking at that phrase, um, it always brings to mind that, uh, you know, in, in the Goss- in the book of Joel, the, 20- the 19th chapter there as well,
0: mm-hmm, you have,
1: mm-hmm. uh, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that same word is used. Uh, and that's the basis for our Easter hymn, I Know My Redeemer Lives. And the picture with that is, you know, He's buying us back, and, and, you know, there's guys who know more about that than I do. But, you know, the idea that He has bought us back, and He has saved us, and that's a, that directs us to the um, the Easter celebration of Christ, who was crucified for our sins, was raised on the third day, and He's identified as our Redeemer, and He's a living Redeemer. So, Although um, this world will go away, the, the fact that He is our Redeemer goes on forever. So there's an eternal there's an eternal comfort that comes uh, with those with that last verse 14. We have a God who is our foundation, but He is also our Redeemer, and that's an eternal thing. Um, and that's you know that's that's it's a quiet meditative uh, thought
0: process when you pray those words. I am reminded as well, because it's very helpful as you look at the Job connection. I mean, how could you help but not see a resurrection connection for Easter? And that's such a joyous time that we have this time of year. Um, even, though, even though growing up in a pastor's house and now being a pastor myself, the Lord has risen. But by one o'clock in the afternoon, we're sleeping. Um, so that's another story, anyways. But <laughs> so verse verse fourteen, I like how you raised, you said this, and it's so powerful and so meaningful. Is that when you have a rock and redeemer like we do with our God, it changes our hearts, it changes our mouths, and and we realize that we're acceptable in the Lord's. Sight and that uh, right there, it's it's not a prayer of Lord, you know, I hope you will help me. No, it's it's a prayer of I know you will. So uh, let it be done, let it happen now. Which is why I think it brings me back to my first parish, and there was a gal there named Dolores Edelhuber, who I believe now is with the Lord, and she talked about how she would always come to church, and when she came to church, she would pray this verse. And then I started praying it too, and she just was so overwhelmed by that that connection that was there. So I would encourage our listeners to consider this to be a good prayer for you when you do come to church, um, whenever that the whenever you do, because it is good for you as you sing and as you. Uh, proclaim God's glory. At the same time, it's a prayer for your pastor and for other workers in the church to faithfully preach that word, to teach that word, and to keep our eyes centered on Christ. So, so, Dad, anything else in verse 14? I think it's a great, great starting point as we look at the psalm.
1: I think uh, we'll, we'll we'll probably get back to it but right now that's all I have but I think you know when you uh, yeah. you know when we do our we do our preaching and we do this uh prayer whether it's in our in quietly or, or so people can hear it you know that that prayer is also for our people as we talk about the hymns that that we sing and in the, and the the thoughts that we have and the prayers that we go with, and and we want uh, we want to uh, we want our time in worship to be a time of which is acceptable in the Lord's sight, and the time of praising. Uh, it, it's uh, it's it, it's a it's a good thought for our people as well. And I never really thought about that, but that makes sense to me. Sense to me. So that we'll get back to that, I'm sure, unless I talk yep. too much, and we will see what happens. Okay. <laughs>
0: All right, well, let's get back to the beginning of Psalm 19. And really, I think I'm going to read the first six verses. And you and I have discussed, and as you look at this, there is a distinction, verses one through six, and then the rest as we look at it. David definitely makes a transition of how he speaks. And as you mentioned, he does verse, the first six verses talk about God, and then it gets more personal beyond that point. So let's just go through verses one through six as he looks at God's creation. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, Dad, this is something where there's a, I would say these these verses are a little bit confusing. The last part, I, I felt very comfortable studying this. So let's try to plot our way through this. Where do you want to begin as we look at, the the heavens declare the glory of God.
1: Well, you know, I think yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, it, it's an interesting section because it starts where a lot of people start. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they we're in central Minnesota and we are surrounded by a lot of great creation and you you and your family and your sister and her family love the North Shore and there's a whole beauty in the North Shore. And I went to college in Winona in the southeast part of the state and there's a beauty down there and there are all the hardwood forests. And then my um, your mother grew up in western Minnesota and farmland and and northwestern minnesota and people who are beet farmers and in southwestern minnesota where i grew up you had these big farms down there so we're surrounded in minnesota with all of these different portions of god's creation um and in the reality is you look at god's creation that's as far as a lot of people get um you know and i get up in the morning and uh, our house has large windows to the woods behind us Right now, I am uh, watching the the sap go into our buckets and by the way, for your information I have about my buckets are about half full of sap so um either tomorrow or the or today or tomorrow we'll be collecting some sap for maple syrup but I sit there and you um you watch the sun come up, um, and it's a an, it's a it's a gorgeous um, it's a gorgeous sight. But then you realize, okay, the sun keeps going up, and life the day begins. And, and creation, as pretty as it is, and as peaceful as it is, all of a sudden it becomes very hectic. And and if you only look at creation as um, the creation uh, or nature. Um, you will never fully understand and grasp the depth of what that of what that creation is because our schedules take over and our our processes take over. Where the psalmist, as he talks about God and creation in verses one to six, you know he he places before his readers not only the the reality of creation, um, but he connects creation to God. Uh, not that, not uh, in the sense that creation itself is God, because he's not, but he is the one who made it. And he is also the one who controls it. Um, and then he, as he goes on through the end here, the, the creation, verse 3 and verse 4, uh, you had there about how there is a message that creation has for us. Um, and that message is, uh, is, is beyond um, our understanding but then he talks about in verse five and six. He talks about how this creation has an order to it. Um, you know, the the sun comes up. Uh, the sun comes up in the morning and goes across the sky. As he talks about how it's like like, like a tent, uh, and you go to bed at night. And in the morning, you wake up and all the, lo, lo and behold, there it is again. It, there's an order to creation, uh, saying to. Um, I was uh, saying to uh, our grandkids when we met in Mil- um, in uh, Melrose for lunch. Mm-hmm. I said mm-hmm. I woke up that morning, which was the 21st of 21st of March, and I said I woke up and the sun was directly east of where I was sitting. And um, you know, what what does that mean? And the reality is that was a passing from from winter to spring. And every year, the 21st of March, 20th of March, whatever else, I had sat in that same chair that. Would be in the same place. There's a there's an order to creation. It's not just something that happens. There's an order to it, and so you have in those first seven verses. This this God of creation um, is not the creation
0: is. Not we lost my dad. Boy, he was on a roll as well. <laughs> so excuse me. So we're gonna try to get dad back on the line, and he's as is reflecting. I'm gonna say a few things. Is first of all that uh, he mentioned maple syrup this is something our family has done since i was in sixth grade something that we did give away as part of Sherathon last year hopefully we're able to do that again this year but as we do so um it's a reminder of there is that order of creation here the sky verse one the sky above proclaims his handiwork if you've ever really reflected on nature it is something that you do see god's handiwork throughout And it's a good distinction for us as Christians that when we filter the world and we look out at the world, we have to be very careful that we don't worship creation, but that we worship the creator. And this is what David does so beautifully in this psalm, which I think is a good psalm for you to consider if you go camping or you see some amazing mountains or you go fishing or you go hunting or whatever it might be, that there's that order and this order as a creator and a person, a triune person who brings that order to us. And so this is something as 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 dad was talking about when you're able to look out in creation and realize this is not something that just randomly happened but is something that was brought together by a creator and finally um kind of a little bit of a a side note is that uh if you want to stop in melrose minnesota and eat with us let us know i think dad and i and my family would gladly make the trip so anyways i think dad is back are you back
1: I'm back. I'm back. So how much? Did, how much did you miss of my great information and my great knowledge?
0: Well, you heard it. Maybe Mom heard it in the other room. I'm not sure. But um, anyways, you were speaking, and and my listeners, our listeners might know more. But uh, you were speaking about sitting. And it was March 21st. And you see the order of creation happening and the the glory of God through that. So here's what I'm going to do, though, Dad, is that it is time to take a break. We'll make sure that you are able to stay on the line here. But we are studying and praying Psalm 19 with Pastor Terry Finnern of Mount Calvary and St. Paul Lutheran Churches in Eltona. And we'll be right back.
1: These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus, but they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash 1316.
0: We are studying and praying Psalm 19 with Pastor Finnern the Greater from Miltona, Minnesota. And so, Dad, as we are looking at this, one of the, um, one sticker I saw in Colorado, and that this is a reference point to all that you've said, and maybe parts we never even heard from you this morning as we lost you, is I saw a bumper sticker one time when our family did a vacation out to Colorado, and the bumper sticker said, nature is my God. And that's why this psalm, I think, is very important. And I was allude, I was speaking about this before you came back. And why is it important that we are able to use, I would say, our Christ filter, our Christ goggles, as we look out in creation, that there is a creator, and we don't worship the creation. And I think David does a great job with that. Any thoughts on those first six verses and that important distinction?
1: You know, I appreciate that. What you know, what what um, what what I was saying about March twenty first. Uh, I woke up in the morning and I sat in my chair, which is a great place to start the day with a cup of coffee. And I looked out, and directly east of my chair, through the windows, was the sun rising. And what that meant was that we were transferring from winter to spring.
0: Mm, and no,
1: next, year, <laughs> the next year, when we, uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> Next year, when uh, that day comes around, that sun will be in the same spot there is not only a God who created it, but he puts an order to it. And there's a, uh, and you, you can count on that and you can rely upon that. Uh, there's a foundation there that uh, in spite of all that's happening in our world, God is still creating an order and, and we can rely upon that. And it, it gives us a sense of, uh, it gives a sense of, of, of competence and of peace as well. So that's where I was going with that. And it's a, uh, hmm. You know, God is our nature. One of A number of many years ago, a guy said to me, you know, uh, some people talk about you know, nature and creation. They call it nature as a special thing. But then he went on to say, when's the, first, when's the last time you heard a squirrel walk up to you and say, Jesus died on the cross for you? Uh, uh, creation does, oh. not, does not and cannot do that. Its voice is different.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. If that happens, then we might have other issues um, going on than just that. But that is a great, great. You know what? I've heard my dad tell many stories. I've never heard him tell me that one as far as someone telling you about uh, a squirrel. So that that's that's a lot of fun. And it is interesting because we we also realize the shortcomings of creation because as Romans 8.22 tells us, that we can look at creation and it's it's this beauty, but also that the creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. It is waiting for the resurrection. So let's not start worshiping as if it is perfect it is not there's hurricanes there's tornadoes um dad you gave a very very good i would say vacation um (laughs) advertisement for every part of the state of minnesota so i think for our (laughs) listeners if you want to visit now you know what part to visit as he has said so dad is there anything else in the first six verses as david speaks on creation and before we move on in our our verses
1: i think uh, a transition for me has always been this uh, we talk about uh, again creation, and the word that people use is that they want uh, they want recreation um, out in the beauty beauty of God's earth, and and recreation uh, brings them peace and comfort and all those things. But in reality, recreation uh, is, is is very temporary. But recreation. Uh, which leads us into verses seven and following, you know the, the recreation that God has given to us that it's it 's not just creation but what our eyes see and what our mouths speak and what our heart believes is centered around God recreating us in his uh, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that that is that is where I always focus my attention. Uh, to recreate in God's world, yes, but to be recreated uh, in His kingdom is, is far better. So that's that's the other that's the other story, which I probably have never told you, but uh, the squirrel story is still the best one.
0: <laughs> I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So let's continue on. Um, I'm going to read verses seven through nine because, like you said, there's a transition, and I challenge our listeners to be able to notice that transition from creation back to the Lord. Obviously there's a filter that David had when he saw the the creation that was there, but then he points his eyes back to the Lord and and notice what he's saying about it, which I think is quite wonderful. 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So it's it's like a, it's a back and forth of saying this is what God has and therefore this is what it does for me. And it's, it's wonderful poetry and great theology. So, um, yeah, how do you want to plow through this? Because we could go each section and then speak about how that's true for us. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, we can speak about each section. We're here for three days. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I. And some of my, my people accuse me of that anyway on Sunday morning when I preach. But the reality <laughs> is there's a major shift here. Uh, for me, and that shift takes place in uh, in verses seven eight and nine and in verse one, you had the the reference to God, the glory of God, and that uh, the translation was uh, from uh, the word l, which is uh, just a general description of God, but now you get to verse seven, and now the word changes. Uh, and that word, as you have said so often when I've talked to you, it's a Yahweh uh, God. This is a God of covenant and a God of promise and and a personal God that's there. So when you look at verses 7 through 9, uh, the, the reference to this God or this Lord becomes, uh, becomes a covenant God, and it brings to mind, you know, the story of Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob, and all those promises of a, of a Savior that was going to come, um, that's what, what came out of my mind, and all of a sudden you find out that these words in verses 7-9, uh, through nine, these words are identified as God's Word coming to us from a loving and caring God, um, and He's explained to us what, how He connects to us in His Word. And Mm -hmm. so the, and that reminds me, you know, as you talk about the law of the Lord, the testament of the Lord, um, the, the, I think Dr. Seleska talked about how these are a kind of a a combination of of synonyms for the same thing. uh, And they are kind of parallel statements, and they all lead us to God being in the middle of this uh, and giving us some special gifts. And then the result is that there's, a, there's, a, there's something that happens, almost like the Beatitudes. Um, I was looking at these, and I saw there were six of the Lord. I said, he should add one more or seven. That would have that fit my number scheme, but he didn't do that. He only had six. <laughs> <laughs> I had one. I didn't remember on any changes. But the Lord is in the middle of that. Mm. Um, and he gives us something, and we have an effect from something. Uh, and that also then brought me to the brings me back to the Exodus story, Exodus 20. Uh, you know, you had the, the the commandments that are there, the law of the Lord, commandments, and that whole thing. Um, but in that in that commandment reference, you end up uh, before he talks about the commandments uh, or the law of God, he reminds us of who he is. And he uses that idea, I'm the Lord, I am your God, uh, that Yahweh again speaking, talking about how he saved his people, and now this God who saved his people now provides for his people the things for their lives. And that's the same, that's the same concept that I see in verses seven to nine. This, this Lord who plays out all of these statements, uh, is the Lord who has saved us in Jesus, and now these things take on a whole different meaning, a deeper meaning of how special they are and blessed we are because we have them. So that's kind of where I'm at. But the Lord's in the middle of all those. What he gave to us and how it affects us, but it's because of our loving Lord that does that. Um, And so it is a major change from creation, there's no question.
0: And so we did receive an email from someone that spoke about how and I want to hear your thoughts here too, Dad, is verses one through six really speaks about um, the world that God has created and how that affects David in his physical, while the rest, seven through fourteen, seem to be focused on God's creation and his word and how it affects his spirit and soul. And I thought that was a I thought that was a pretty good distinction. That's not in the Lutheran service book explicitly, which is okay. Um any thoughts on that distinction? I thought that was helpful.
1: Well I think there's no question that and if you want to use the you know the, the other Psalms, as a matter of fact, uh Last night in our um, last night in our worship service for Lent, you know, we had uh, we had portions of his, one of his psalms where he is he is uh, he's convicted of his sin um, and he confesses his sin and the result is there's a there's a a, a peace that he has in spite of that. So he uh, he came out of a very uh, a very destructive moment in his life according to creation. Um, only to find out that God, in his forgiving grace, not only re- re- returned him, but also sustained him. So I, I think that works. That works for me. Um,
0: and so what I really yeah. appreciate, and I know you've, you've been speaking about this over and over, is just this, this language, very wonderful poetic language of the law of the Lord is perfect. And sometimes we as Lutherans, and it goes on to testimony is sure, precepts are right, commandment is pure, fear is clean, rules are true. He's speaking about what I would say often throughout these verses is the law. And the law, you know, law and gospel, you can't keep it back in confirmation language, you know, the law shows us our sin and the save the gospel shows us our savior. But here he's speaking about it in a way that is very encouraging. This is not like the law shows you your sin, end of story. Move on, you know, now you need a Savior. But he's speaking about it in the law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives the soul. It makes us wise. It re- helps us to rejoice and enlightens our eyes to see Christ enduring forever and is, brings us righteousness. Any thoughts on how he speaks of the law in a way that we often don't speak? Thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's true. I think when you look at those uh, six uh, references, uh, you know the law is not just uh, not just uh, the the do this and don't do that, but it's also an instruction thing, um, and it's that instruction that ultimately uh, it has uh, it helps us understand uh, how we fit into this whole picture of creation and how we fit into this picture of God's love. Uh, for us in Jesus, it's an instructing thing. And hopefully, um, hopefully we are open to being instructed um, and uh, not and not just what to do or not to do, but to instructed in relationships with with him and with one another. Uh, and so when I see that as not just the law of uh, do this and don't do that but also a time of instruction um, that, uh, that that gives me a broader picture of what that purpose is and because God in his purpose is not to do things to destroy us but to instruct us to learn from him that we would be blessed by him and that brings us to verses 10 to 11 eventually but there's an instruction part here are we gonna, are we going are we going to stop and be instructed by him or not Um, Our sin says no, um, but our spirit says
0: yes. Let's look at verses 10 and 11, as you said. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So now now he speaks in a language that, okay, this is what it is. And then he starts using some um, visuals. You know, most of us, I know I am very visual person, people. And so he speaks about this is, uh, you know, the law of the Lord, the, the precepts of the Lord, the rules of the Lord are all to be desired. And what does he compare it to? And how would you unpack that?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, um, I've all. I'm a I'm a great believer in pictures. Uh, you call them visuals, and that's true. Um, you know, you uh, Jesus does this continually. He will place before his people a picture. Uh, about three weeks ago, we had the picture in the gospel reading uh, about the hen and her chicks. Uh, you know, he has he uses pictures over and over again, and it immediately will bring to your mind uh, whatever picture you're presented with, you know, certain things that you understand. And so he has the pictures of gold and great gold and fancy gold. That's a picture of of value. Um, And then he has that picture of the honey and honeycomb. Uh, That's a picture of, of, you know, how sweet that is, because that wasn't a a, I don't think it was a lot of people had that. Uh, but you had these pictures, and all of a sudden, he connects that to God, and he takes those two pictures and said, it is greater than this gold. It is greater than this honeycomb. Um, and he moves you from where you're at and what you know in creation, and he moves you to a level of salvation and a new relationship with him. And so you, you you follow that, and you can sit back and say, uh, I don't understand how all this works, but that's a great that's a great God that does that.
0: And you know, I have very little reference to honeycomb besides you know when those rare days where Mom would actually buy a sugary cereal, and it was you know. Um honeycomb cereal that's about my only reference to that any any insight on that i don't know much about it. I figure maybe you know something about uh honey and so forth what Why is that such a powerful I get gold, but the honeycomb i don't see a lot of that in my life so any any insight on that? Well, yeah, and
1: I think that's very true and I think many of us don't um what you find with honey uh and there's a variety of honey out there. Uh, and if you were living in a time uh, where you didn't have much things to sweeten your food with, or your or your tea or whatever else with, uh, honey became very important. And so um, a friend of mine had a, had a, he very had honey, and he uh, loved to get honey from his basswood trees because basswood trees had a very light flavored honey. It was sweet, but it had a light flavor. And so the idea that when you put this honey into your wherever you used it for, it brought with it a sweetness, but not being distracted by its flavor. It's the same thing when we do maple syrup. uh, To get my plug for my maple syrup, in Uh, (laughs) they they used to uh, the emphasis was there are different grades of maple syrup, and once in a while, uh, the the uh, the the highest grade is uh, is a is a honey or a maple syrup which is sweet. But it has very little maple flavor to it, and so people who are raised on uh, the the store bought syrups today, who like the stronger maple flavor, this real light flavored maple syrup that's sweet but does not have that strong flavor, people really don't like that because it doesn't it doesn't uh, doesn't flavor your pancakes like the the heavier stuff does. So you end up with. A honey, which is a light honey, which you put into your food, which sweetens your food, but does not distract by the flavor. And so we live in a, a world of a creation where it creation by itself distracts us. But the sweetness of God's love in Jesus then brings a, a, a relationship and understanding of what our life is, which is not distracted by creation, but always emphasized by the salvation of Jesus. That's, that's kind of the picture I have with that. Uh, and then the idea was that the end result in verse 11 is that as he deals with all of these things, and they're all positive things from the Yahweh, the Lord, as he deals with that, he said, it, it's a, it warns me of my sinfulness. And also, it reminds me that keeping these commands is has a great reward connected to it. So it's a transition there as well, um, which only comes by focusing on um, the Yahweh who loved us and the promises He gives to us. So that's and I that's like how.
0: No, no and I I figured somehow we would get back to more maple syrup in the discussion. So there it is. Um true yeah, to form, true yeah. to form. <laughs> so in it in the distinction of that too is just speaking about how the word of the Lord is actually better than that fine gold, which you could have lots of cash or that that yeah. wonderful honeycomb that probably tastes better than anything they could have imagined in those days and there is right. great reward but he he doesn't stop there one one thing i wanted to highlight on this is just that reminder to all of us that the law of the lord is perfect and good that this is something right. When we see what the Lord has to say, that we don't dismiss it as well, you know, thank goodness, dismiss it instantly and just say, "Oh well, Jesus, you know, you know that that, that I don't I don't have to worry about that because Jesus died for my sins. Therefore, I don't have to worry about this a lot." No, there's benefit to this; that this is perfect and good to live our lives in holiness and godliness until Christ returns, and He gives it to us as a gift, and He blesses us through it. So, I think Psalm 19 is a, a wonderful one, not only to use when you are hiking or you're in nature but also as we go through the daily life and the tasks of our vocation lord help me to keep that word and to realize the benefits that he gives through that word the law and obviously pointing us always back to christ so so dad anything else on verses really, 7 through 11
1: uh no i think I'm, I'm i'm pretty much done there but i do believe this <laughs> if you look at those those first 11 verses you find out that it's almost like Uh, the psalmist is kind of picking up speed. You know, it's like he's Mm. getting excited. Uh, You know, he sees creation, he's excited about that, and he talks about that. And then uh, the excitement grows, and and the excitement then turns in verse 7 to... uh, 7 through uh, 10, you know, all these blessings of our, of our our loving God, the Yahweh, the covenant God, the promising God. Uh, it's like he's picking up speed. He's getting more and more excited as he's talking to his people. Uh, and then he gets to that point in verse 11 when he says, you know, as I reflect on all this, I, there's, a, there's a warning for me um and then but I also know there's a re- re- reward for me and then as he picks up speed all of a sudden he gets to verse 12 and 13 and everything yeah. stops
0: right right so let's let's read that that's a great way to think through that as uh well who would have thought Psalm 19 as the wild ride and here we go continuing now it stops like it's like you're going up on a roller coaster and it stops midway almost verse 12 who can discern his errors declare me innocent from hidden faults keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me then i shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression as you said dad that it's almost like a stop describe this stop we have about 7 minutes left in our time so we have we have quite a bit of time but what, the stopping, what, what is that like? Describe that to us as David's doing this.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, that what that says
0: to me is simply this,
1: that as you, as you hear all these things and you're excited about, you know, God's creation and it's his creation and he gives us a chance to enjoy that. And then we talk about his, his, uh, his law. Uh, and he gives those things to us, and we are instructed by that, and we realize that our lives are better when we follow those things, and then he connects that to um, the blessings that go on and how much more than our earthly treasures or earthly possessions, and then he puts it all together, and then as the psalmist listens to what he's saying, all of a sudden uh, he says in verse 11, this is a warning for me, and as he hears all of that, He stops in verse 12 and 13, and he reflects, very deeply reflects upon his sinful condition and his perspective of all that God has done. Um, And we we try to do that in our worship services as we have our confession and absolution, Um, you know, where you give your people a chance to stop for a moment and to think about and make our confessions. So that stopping for me is... uh, you. You, you you stop all these things, and now you look at yourself. You find out that if you go back to those first six verses, it's kind of an external witness by God in creation. And then you go to verses 7 to 11, and there you have another external, uh, external uh, revelation, but that's in his word now, uh, a specific word given to us by the Holy Spirit. And those are external things. But you go to verse 12 and verse 13, this becomes an internal internal thought process of what this all means for me. It's a confession, a deep confession. And you almost get the feeling that for David, you know, the whole Bathsheba story and all that, you know, he he comes to the realization that, you know, after the Nathan story, all of a sudden he comes to the realization as he realizes all that's going on, uh, all that he has done. It's an internal convicting perhaps of God's law, internal realization of how he has destroyed that law, he's turned away from God, um, and so he he stopped. And so in verse 12, he talks about, so who's going to discern my errors? Um, How how am I going to know all these things that are wrong? And that's got to be a God picture. Um, Who's going to declare me innocent for my hidden faults, not just the sins that I'm aware of, and this is our general confession in, in worship, and not just the ones that we are aware of, uh, but we also have those hidden faults. Who's gonna Who's gonna declare me innocent from all of those things? Obviously, it's God. Verse 13. Who's gonna um, uh, keep back your servant from all the the sins that we uh, that that are hanging around? They want me to do. Who's gonna stop me from doing that? Um, and the reality is, um, that's God. Uh, who let them not have dominion over me? Who's gonna help me resist all of that? That's a That's a God picture. And as God does all of that in verse 12 and 13, then he said, in response and result to all of that, I will become blameless and innocent of my great transgressions because of what God has done. Um, God has done for me, and that's that, those are the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart comes in, which is the next verse. So he places before God, God, this is who I am. He stops, and he's not looking at creation. He's not reading his word. He is from his heart, he feels this, this depth of his inadequacies and his sinful condition. And he says, God is the one who moves me from that guilt. He moves me into the, the blamelessness and not guilty of our transgressions. It is all God. And so that is the quiet reflection. It stops us in our tracks if we realize how important that is.
0: This reminds me of, in our congregation, like you mentioned, your midweek services, we are going through a number of hymns. And this, I can't help but read this psalm and think back to the hymn we went through last night, which is Chief of Sinner Though I Be. And stanza five says this, which lines up perfectly with verses 12 and 13. All my Savior, help afford by your spirit and your word. When my wayward heart would stray, keep me in the narrow way. Grace in time of need supply. While I live and when I die. And I think that is exactly the transition that David makes in this psalm. And we get back to verse 14. Let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Dad, we have about a minute left. Uh, when would you encourage uh, the people in your congregation, family, others, to use this blessed psalm, this powerful psalm?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, we use uh, Divine Service 3 and 4, and both of those services begin, as many of ours do, with a confession, prospect, and absolution. And that's followed by the introit, which is a fancy word for entrance, I think. We don't use the introit, but we use the psalm of the day. Um, and my words to my people after we have done the confession and after they've been uh, had heard the absolution my thoughts are them as forgiven sinners in jesus we come enter into god's presence and that psalm whatever that psalm is is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise and so uh this psalm uh verse 14 is pretty known to a lot of us but there's so much more than that uh and so this the uh the, 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 the psalms that we have, uh, David is surprising how many times David does exactly as he do in, in verse in Psalm 19. Not as, not as clear, I don't believe, but uh, there is a, a lot there. Much like when you do a hymn, we sing a hymn, you know, got those different verses. And amazing to me how sometimes one of those verses really stops and talks to us. If we just quietly reflect on that and try to not worry about singing the melody, maybe just looking the words.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there it is. Our time is up. Pastor Terry Finnern of Mount Calvary and St. Paul's Lutheran Churches in Miltona, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Psalm 19. Dad, uh, love you and thank you for bringing us his gifts.
1: Sammy, you take care. Have a blessed day and give the kids and uh, Amy a
0: hug for us, okay? I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.